Happy Wednesday. It's Sarah Gump here. Welcome to the Cedarville Stories podcast. Today's guest is Julia Gardner. She was a newlywed of just six weeks, and she was on track to earn her Doctor of Pharmacy degree by 2019. But for Julia, the hopes and dreams associated with marriage and her future career were suddenly put on hold. On the day before she was diagnosed to begin the professional pharmacy program at Cedarville, Julia was diagnosed with acute lymphoblastic leukemia. Listen to how her journey led her to minister to sick children. Thank you, Sarah, for that introduction. I'm Mark Weinstein, and I want to welcome everyone back for another episode of the Cedarville Stories podcast. Joining me on the program today is Julia Gardner, a recent graduate of Cedarville's Doctor of Pharmacy program, and she has an amazing story to tell, which is why I want her on the podcast today. Although Julia and I will discuss situations that she experienced in her young life, including how she battled cancer shortly after her wedding day, what strikes me about Julia is that through this very difficult situation, she handled the diagnosis and treatment with hope, grace, and a ministry mindset. You'll learn more about this on today's podcast. But for now, Julia, welcome to the podcast. It's great to have you on the program. Thanks for having me, Mark. It's great to talk with you. It's great to see you. We're doing this by Zoom uh, as uh, COVID uh, has forced us to do all these podcasts. But uh, for starters, um, Julia, as you know this, uh, because your sister Lindsay and I were once colleagues in the public relations department at Cedarville University, I know that you have a very strong bond with your parents, with your siblings. As a result of knowing all that, I have followed your cancer journey with prayerful interest, and I've known for a while that you are now cancer-free. Can you confirm that you are (laughs) cancer-free? Yes, I'm cancer-free for five years now. Oh, that's fabulous. So... The story was totally different, though, back in 2015, when you were diagnosed with leukemia just six weeks after your wedding day. That's amazing. Um, What was going on in your life at that time that made you think you needed to go see a doctor? Yeah, sure. Um, So, like you said, I was married for six weeks. I had been working at Cedarville over the summer, and my last week of working at Cedarville, I started having um, some symptoms of fatigue. I remember my last day working in the alumni office. I couldn't get my head off my desk. I was just so tired. Um, Yeah. And then I started uh, orientation at pharmacy school. And um, that week I was pushing myself really hard. It was a really busy week. We have to do a lot. We cram a lot into those days. And I remember walking around campus and even just walking from the HSC to the SSC, I had to stop like three different times because my heart was just beating so loud in my ears um, and I'd be out of breath. So I thought that was pretty odd. I ended up going to the doctor on Tuesday and got labs drawn. Um, I got my labs back on Thursday. Well, the nurse called me and told me about my labs on Thursday. They said I was just anemic and to take iron. Um, But being the astute new pharmacy student, I wanted to see my labs for myself. I had never had my blood drawn in my life. Um, So I was like, when can I see my labs? And she said, they'll be up on the portal on Friday morning. So I was sitting in orientation and saw my labs pop up. Um, And I knew some of them looked a little odd, like my white blood cell count was high. And a couple other things were a little bit weird, but nothing crazy. But at the bottom, it said all lymph is atypical and immature. 
So I knew that was also strange. Sent it off to my mom, who sent it off to more friends. And long story short, I ended up in the ED that night, just one week after having symptoms, and was diagnosed the next day with leukemia. Wow. Wow. So when you got that news the next day, what, what were the thoughts that went through your mind? How did you respond to that uh, very sudden news? Yeah, it was hard. Um, the first couple of days, I think it was just, I was really sick and I didn't, I couldn't really grasp the concept. And I think I relied really heavily on my family who had, you know, the presence of mind to take in all the information. Um, but for us, it was just a few days of mourning in a way of our life is not going to be the same. And it's not how we pictured uh, starting our marriage and starting my pharmacy school uh, degree. But after the first few days, I think me and my husband were both just really ready to conquer it. Um, I don't, I think we still do that today. Five years later, if we get a hard, hard news, we're sad for the first day or two. And then we're pretty um, at peace that this is what God has for us. And we're going to go through it and trust him with what he's given to us. So um, after the first few days, we were a little bit stronger and ready to see what the next few years looked like for us. And we're going to talk about those next few years uh, in a few minutes on the podcast. But as you've been diagnosed with leukemia and you're a new wife, uh, what was it like for you to go through this experience of going from probably the greatest joy in your life, you just got married six weeks ago, to maybe the greatest fear that you've experienced facing cancer? How was that for you? Yeah, it's it was really tough. I, it's exactly like you said. It was a high high of getting married, and I had a really big, huge wedding, and had a nice honeymoon just six weeks before. Um, and then getting the hard diagnosis, it was more of a reality check. I think being twenty year, twenty one years old, you think you're invincible, and then you get a diagnosis, and you realize um, you're not. So it was really tough. It was definitely a dichotomy of my life yesterday was really good. I was starting grad school. I'm married uh, to my the love of my life. And uh, then today, my life feels devastating. And you get those why me type of feelings. But um, I'm just so thankful that I had like 15 members of my family around me the day that I got diagnosed. And uh, they were with me through the whole time. Yeah, and I mentioned again at the beginning that uh, there's a strong bond between your family. Uh, I've seen it uh, firsthand. Uh, so uh, that had to play a key role in t just helping you uh, day by day. Um, but I'm interested in knowing how did the diagnosis impact your marriage? Yeah, so our first year we were living in Cedarville. Um, I was diagnosed in Dayton, but then was transferred to Cincinnati Children's. Um, so that's about an hour and a half drive from Cedarville, whereabouts, depending on the, uh, the traffic. Um, so my husband was currently working outside of Columbus at Honda, which was an hour drive from Cedarville north in the opposite direction. And my parents lived about halfway from Cedarville to the hospital. Um, so I had to move in with my parents so that my husband could continue working full time. And my mom was staying at home with me and could take care of me and take me to the hospital when I needed to. Because during leukemia treatment, you have a port. And when you have a port, if you have a fever, it's a medical emergency. And you have to be at the hospital as soon as you can. Yeah, which isn't quite possible from uh, Cedarville. So we spent the first year of our marriage living apart, um, seeing each other about once a week and then on the weekends, which was really tough. Um, 
But I do think since we were just married, we weren't really used to living together anyway. So it was a little bit easier than if we were used to being married and living together and separating at that point. But it was really tough. I'm sure it was. So when you did see your husband, did you have to be careful because you didn't want to get an infection? Or was that part of the situation as well? A little bit. I think he more had to be careful um, at work and who he's around that so he didn't bring any germs back to me. But if he was sick, we wouldn't see each other. And that same goes to all of my family members. Um, I wasn't allowed to be around any sick people or um, sometimes children as well if I had really no immune system. Um, so we kind of all had to be careful. And holidays looked different for us that year. This year is actually really reminiscent of five years ago for us. That's a good That's a good analogy or comparison. Yeah. We, I wore masks everywhere I went and had to be really careful about germs. So really, this is no sweat for us. <laughs> Yeah. You're dealing with the diagnosis. Now you're living with your parents, but you also had to leave college. You had to step out of your program. How difficult was that to leave the program that you were maybe halfway through? Uh, I had just finished my third year of seven. And I know Dean Sweeney really wanted um, me to stay on. And he was really willing to um, help me if I could, you know, do anything distant learning, which now seems like we could have done it. But um, at the time, I knew that my first year of treatment would be really, really hard and have a lot of hospital stays. So I made the tough choice pretty early on in my diagnosis that I needed to step away that year. And for me, a very type A person, I had this mindset, you know, I was going to be done in seven years and then I was going to do this and this and this. Um, but I knew that God had a different plan and it would work out. And if I, I was meant to go back to pharmacy school, I would. So it was really tough and it was hard it being my senior year, technically, with all of my friends still at campus. Um, so that was that was really tough, and it felt very isolating that year. But I'm very thankful that I took that year off and took the time to, you know, get better. So you've never had a college graduation, because the four years you were dealing with this, and now this past year, we didn't have a graduate. Is that, is that right? Well, I did graduate in 2017 with my new pharmacy class, okay. but I didn't get to graduate with my original senior year class. Um, so I did walk with that at least, but yeah, you're right. I didn't get this year either. <laughs> yeah. So from the start of your treatment to when you're cancer-free, how long, how long did that take? So leukemia is kind of interesting where they want you to be in remission as fast as possible. So I was actually in remission within the first month of treatment, but you want to keep being in remission. So they continue on your treatment for two and a half years. So I had that remission status day 28 of therapy, um, but continued on. So now I've been cancer-free for five years, but I've not been out of treatment. I've only been out of treatment almost three years. So did getting that uh, notice that you were in remission, was that kind of like a, a sigh of relief? Or were you, do you still have in the back of your mind that it could come back? I think you're always going to have that feeling as a cancer survivor, but that first step of being cancer-free is a really big sigh of relief. And for leukemia, it's a good prognostic factor too, if you're in remission really fast, which I was. Um, so for our family, that was a big celebration. Oh yeah. And you, you guys, um, you guys will celebrate well. It's just so, it's so fun to 
from a distance watch your family again just how close they are but during your your treatment in in recovery i remember reading about some of your classmates and i think this is a testament to you and a testament to just the kind of students we have at cedarville university but some of your classmates came alongside you through an event called light the night do you recall the event and how did it make you feel i do recall it um it was great. I think my it was my pharmacy classmates that really got together and decided to do it and raise funds and then do the actual walk. Um, and I think then I didn't realize how you know cool that event is and how meaningful it can be. And so now I'm so thankful that they showed me that that event even exists. Um, and it, it made me feel loved and uh, remembered because I think it felt so isolated being by myself. Um, so it was a very kind gesture that they all did for me. Did, did fear grip your heart at all during this whole trial? I had waves of it. I'd say, um, my cancer went away quickly and never peaked its head again, really. Um, but treatment in general is just very hard on your body. So I had a lot of scary moments in my treatment, a, a lot of hospital stays, um, so I think there was fear in the treatment course, not as much fear in the relapse. But, you know, like I said, every cancer patient and every cancer survivor is going to have that fear that it's back. Um, and the further away I get from treatment, the less my fear is. So I'm very thankful for that. But I think in the midst of it, you there's just so much unknown. So you do fear. Yeah. Sure. So even though, you know, you're cancer-free, then that's great. Um, have there been any maybe side effects to all the cancer treatment that maybe you're dealing with now that you wouldn't think of uh, as a normal person? Yeah. Uh, we say cancer is never gone because you just feel like it's impacted the whole, my whole being. I mean, it's impacted my personality in one way of, you know, how I view the world and my outlook, but on a physical stance, yeah, it's definitely affected my body. I, um, have osteonecrosis from high dose steroids and i've had my shoulder replaced um two years ago so i was 25 when i had my shoulder replaced i need my other shoulder replaced i need a hip replaced that's mostly what i deal with on a day-to-day basis but my pain really like ebbs and flows i don't feel it all day long or anything but it's definitely present and it affects how long i stand at work or my exercise routine and things like that Yeah. And then obviously fertility was always a question mark for me too. So I've had to um, have different fertility consults and conversations and all of that. And then other endocrinological, endocrinology, uh, different things like my blood sugar is always crazy, but just random things of your body that chemo affects and keeps affecting for the rest of your life. Yeah. And it sounds like uh, it will affect the rest of your life. So, um, you won't be able to escape in your mind this cancer because of all that you have to deal with. Is that, that's right. fair, right? Yeah. And it's just life changing. I mean, it turned my whole life upside down and opened my eyes to a whole world. I didn't really know the full state of it. Like I didn't know how much childhood cancer affects the world. But that's not a bad thing. And I want to, on that, I want to pivot. I want to pivot in your story. At the outset of the program, I mentioned that you went through the treatment with an attitude of hope, grace, and a ministry mindset. 
one powerful ministry that I remember following you uh, started with, with something called Julia's Jammies. Tell us about this opportunity to serve others during their treatment of cancer. Sure. So that first month of treatment, I spent 100% of my time um, inpatient at Cincinnati Children's. And during that time, I received a lot of gifts and also saw a lot of different ministries that people do at Children's that had cancer. And our whole family was like, we need to do something to give back. Um, what can that be? So my favorite thing that I got was pajamas while I was inpatient since I was there for 28 days and I didn't have time to go home and pack. I went right from emergency room to um, being inpatient for 28 days. So people would send me pajamas and that was one thing I got complimented on everywhere. I'd go down to an MRI and everyone would be like, oh, your pajamas are so nice. <laughs> so it just kind of made me feel comfortable, made me feel like at home. So that was the one thing that we kind of took away. Like we should find a way to donate pajamas. I'm not sure if that means just our family donating pajamas, if we can gather a bunch of friends to buy some new pajamas. Um, so then we took a few months and figured it out from a social work perspective and um, even just cleanliness and making sure that these kids get safe new pajamas. And that first year, we reached out to our friends and family on social media and said, if you can give us any new with tags pajamas, we will gather them all put them in like plastic bags to keep them safe um, and then donate them to Cincinnati Children's. But we ended up getting 500 pair, which um, Cincinnati Children's has, I think, a 90-bed pediatric oncology floor. So they did not need 500 pairs of pajamas. And we were able to, to disperse them to five different local hospitals throughout Ohio and Indiana that first year. Since then, we've, I think, gathered, I kind of lose track of our numbers and I have them all somewhere, but I think we've gathered 4,500 pair and donated them in the last four years to, I think, about 20 different hospitals nationwide, which has been really cool. It's given me a lot of different connections and we've been able to help out in Maine, where my husband's from, and then a bunch of different friends from different states have been able to help us with dropping off pajamas and getting contacts from those hospitals, which has been a big blessing to a lot of people. And I get thank you cards and messages and stuff all the time, which is a big blessing for me. Sure. So it's a wonderful story. Um, are you still doing Julius Jammies or does COVID impact that? COVID impacts it this year. Um, we always say we're always willing to take pajamas, but this year we're not able to donate them because hospitals want um, like new packages of different things. Like you can buy things from Amazon and ship them directly, or they're gathering different um, supplies in boxes for their children. So this year we're kind of promoting a different organization. Just Cincinnati Children's has their own way to give. So that's what we're promoting on our pages right now is to give to that. So specifically, what are you promoting? Um, Cincinnati Children's is gathering, they have these little boxes that you can buy for $50 and then each child will get them based on their age. Um, so right now the Liberty Center is matching hundred percent, whatever we donate. So if you donate $25 then that buys one box for a child that's inpatient. So on our Julius Jamie's Facebook or Instagram, we have that link posted if anybody would like to donate. Okay. Do you anticipate continuing with Julius Jamie's once COVID's over with? Yeah, I think so. As, as long as people want to give us jammies, we will continue to coordinate the dropping off of pajamas anywhere we can. 
Is there is there a, a specific story that comes to your mind of hearing from a patient or a mom uh, in relation to what you did with Julia's jammies? Yeah, I think the one that comes to my mind is actually when I was at clinic, because I still have to follow up with oncology pretty often. And I saw a little boy wearing pajamas and he walked by my door, which has a big window and waved at me really big. <laughs> and the social worker came in and she, he was like, he wanted to say thank you for the pajamas. Um, he gets them every time he's here because he, that's the only thing he wears. It's the only thing he has to wear here because he's, um, you know, has some issues buying clothes. So that was really cool too. I didn't really realize that they would be using it like that kind of ministry. And I think that's wonderful. And we say, you know, give it to whoever needs them. And I was thrilled to see his little face and how happy he was wearing his new pajamas. That's that's special. So before we move on to another part of your life, um, tell our listeners how they can get connected with Julia's jammies if they want to donate. Yeah, sure. So we, um, have a Facebook page and we have an Instagram page, both called Julia's Jammies, and you can find us and follow us. And then there's information on there um, on ways to contact us for an address to drop off or to ship pajamas. And also the link that I was discussing with um, Cincinnati Children's. But right now it's just donate to any children's hospital, however you can, if you're not local and you want to choose the local one, that's great too. But for our Cincinnati and Dayton people, there's a Cincinnati Children's link on my page. Okay. Thanks for sharing that and really for uh, serving a lot of people who are in tough tough situations. And uh, I know it brings a smile to their face. I'd like to fast forward a little bit to today. I know you're a recent graduate of the Doctor of Pharmacy program, so congratulations. Albeit, a, what, a year or so later than anticipated? Yeah, a year. <laughs> One year. Uh, perhaps because of what you experienced as a ca- cancer patient, you've decided to become a pediatric oncology pharmacist, which is amazing. And you're currently serving a one-year residency at Cincinnati Children's Hospital, which has to be really special for you. Why is it important for you to serve as a pediatric oncology pharmacist? Well, my original goals, uh, even before diagnosis, was I really like pediatrics. So that was my number one goal was to get a pediatric residency because that can just get my foot in the door and get me an excellent job to work with children. And the fact that I matched, because our residencies are matched similar to um, medical doctors, uh, with Cincinnati Children's was such a blessing in so many different ways that I could tell you for hours. But it's been so great being there where people know who I am or just love that I'm there as a patient. I'm technically a current patient still. But for me, oncology is definitely something I love. I feel like I have that patient perspective that can help even other practitioners understand what they're going through, what medications taste like, what, ex- what certain procedures feel like. So I love that. And I, I just love oncology in general. Right now, my plan is to hopefully stay at Cincinnati Children's if I can um, get a job there. Likely, I will probably start off not in oncology, but potentially there's ways to move up to oncology if I can. I was going to ask you, and I assume that you hope to start your career at Cincinnati Children's. Uh, I think what's really interesting about your story to this point is, you know, we go through hard times and we we question, we can, we can question like, why has this happened to me, God? You know, why me? But he doesn't, he doesn't waste any opportunity. He used you in the midst of your trial. He's using you now. And it's really going to be fun to follow your career to see really what he, what he has in store for you because it just has to be great. Don't you think? I mean, don't you get excited about thinking about that? 
Oh yeah, I do. Yeah, definitely. I feel like his plan has been actually very, I feel like I've been able to see it all along in a way, but then he keeps surprising me with giving me more and more details of even just putting me at Cincinnati Children's, not just any other children's hospital um, this year has been such a blessing, but he's just been teaching me things throughout my whole diagnosis and treatment. And even after treatment that has prepared me for this role and where I am right now. Before we uh, conclude today's program, I still have about two or three more questions I want to ask you, but there's some recent news in your life that uh, my wife and I noticed on social media. Can you uh, tell us about the news that, um, what you're expecting in March of 2021? Yeah, we are expecting a little boy in March of 2021. Um, So that is one reason why I'm cutting my residency short a little bit because I'm getting a surprise baby in the middle of it. (laughs) (laughs) Um, So yeah, we're super excited. And um, we were shocked to find out that we were pregnant and didn't even know if I could be pregnant. So they were just so blessed and excited. So does it bring you, I don't even know if it's possible to bring you even greater joy than what you you would experience if you knew you were pregnant, but does the trials of your cancer and all that you went through, does it make it even more special for you? Most definitely. Like I said, I didn't know if it would be possible with all my treatment. So uh, we are just shocked and thrilled. And uh, I, I think, like you said, anybody would be just so how how is uh, your mom dealing with the incredible joy of having another grandchild? She's thrilled. This is her 10th grandchild. Um, so she's just really excited to have her next grandchild two minutes down the street, and she's going to get a lot of time with him. So she's excited to have one close by since the others are kind of further away right now. I know, I know some grandchildren live in Indianapolis. Where do the other ones live? Cleveland. Okay. And that means your mom's praying really hard that you get a job at Cincinnati Children's, isn't she? (laughs) (laughs) She she definitely is. (laughs) Well, she deserves to have uh, you and the grandson uh, nearby just for caring for you well, and and, uh, I hope it happens. So back to the the internship residency, when when does that end? Um, for me, it'll end in the end of July. I've had to take a little bit of time off to have a baby in the middle, but okay. it'll be end of July. And then what's the process for you to hopefully get employed by Cincinnati Children's? Um, pharmacy is an interesting career choice, right? or not career choice. Pharmacy is an interesting uh, world where they actually start interviewing in two weeks in December for jobs that start you know, after graduation type of timeline. Um, so I should start interviewing in the next couple of weeks and then hopefully, you know, decisions in March or so, um, and then you can start in August. But I feel really blessed to be at an institution right now that actually has positions opening. I know a lot of other hospitals are struggling to pay everybody 100% or keep their staff where they are. And so my hospital is growing and building more opportunities right now, which is a big blessing in COVID. Um, yeah. I want to think that just the, the time you spent at Cincinnati Children's as a patient could help you with a job. Is that even possible to think that, you know, Julia's jammies and being a patient and being doing your residency there could help you uh, get a job? Potentially. I think having a residency there helps as well. Um, I mean, they at least know who I am and I'm not just someone uh, applying cold. But yeah, you'd think it would help. So 
we'll see. <laughs> well, we'll pray toward that end that uh, we want we want you to go wherever the Lord leads, but we pray that it's in Cincinnati. It'd be, it's a it's a perfect way to to wrap up this story with with Julia and her cancer. So um, I had time for one more question, and uh, I ask this often to people on the podcast. Usually, the last question through all what we're dealing with in our society right now, uh, which is a lot of turmoil, COVID. What's the Lord teaching you as you study His Word? Oh, he just keeps continuing to teach me that I need Him, and I rely on Him, and I need Him every single day. Um, I think when I start to lose focus of that, He brings me right back um, in some way or another. So I'm just trying, I'm learning every single day to rely more and more on Him. Um, it's as simple as that for me right now, just... Um, being in the Word and praying and just relying fully on Him to lead me in the next days of my life. Thanks for sharing that. You, you've been there for many, many years. I, I've, I've followed you, so I wish you the best. I look forward to hearing the news of when your your son arrives and as, as also that hopefully you get a job at Cincinnati Children's. And thanks for joining me on the podcast and sharing your story with so many listeners. I'm sure it's inspiring and encouraging. So thanks again for joining me. Thanks, Mark. Thank you for listening to the Cedarville Stories podcast brought to you by Cedarville University. If you were encouraged by today's episode, share it with a friend. Please rate and review this podcast on your favorite podcast provider. And connect with us at Cedarville on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook. And be sure to come back next week when we'll hear another inspiring Cedarville story for God's glory.